Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com pockets, fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, everyone. Welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer, joined today by James. James, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited to talk about... We get to hang out some deal junkies today. My, my kind of show. Yeah, this is your favorite kind of show. We are going to be doing a flippers panel today. So we've brought in three, well, two flippers on top of James, who's obviously an expert flipper. We have Tarl Yarber, who has been around the BP sphere for a long time. So if you watch Bigger Pockets YouTube, or uh, he's been on a lot of our podcasts before. So if you know Tarl, excellent, very experienced flipper. And we also have Jesse Rodriguez joining us host of HGTV's Vintage Flip. He operates mostly out of Southern California. James, what, you know, given everything that's going on, it's an interesting time for flippers. What are you looking forward to talking to these guys about? I'm looking forward to just adjustments, right? With every market cycle, you got to change your flipping. You got to change all your businesses, but especially your flipping, like how you're doing it, who you're hiring and how you're dispoing and how people are making money because people are a little spooked right now, but it's a good business to be in. Yeah, yeah, I think, and today I, I expect that we are going to hear the good bag and ugly. Like, there's obviously some good stuff in here, but you know, we but we both know Tarl. He likes to keep it real and explain all the uh, sort of the behind the scenes things that are going on, and it's not all glitz and glam and some of the challenges of the business. So, I think anyone who has even has a preliminary interest in flipping is definitely going to want to listen to this show because. I think between the three of you, there's something like 1,500 deals flipped, something crazy like that. How many of you flipped? Uh, we have done about five to 600. We've been involved in over 3,500 transactions with Ooh. flips with our clients lending money and ourselves. So it's 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 over a billion dollars in flips we've done. What? Yeah, or transactions with flips. So we hit that wow. threshold last year. 
Oh my God, that's insane. All right. Well, I'm sorry to have said 1500. Yeah, a little <laughs> tired. Just a couple deals. Wow. 3500. That is wild. Well, Today in this episode, we are going to hear a little bit about a concept called dollar cost averaging. If you've never heard of it before, it's a term popularized in the stock market. And the general idea is that rather than trying to time the market, you inject capital into your portfolio at regular increments. So if it's stock market, maybe you take some money, put it in once a month. Uh, when you get your paycheck or something like that. With real estate, maybe it's you flip a house every six months, regardless of market conditions or buy a rental every two years. And the idea is basically that because asset values accelerate over time, if you can just pin your success to the average return, you're going to do really well. And that this is sort of just this sort of humble way of admitting you can't time the market and you're just going to ride the general market sentiment. So um, just wanted everyone to be aware of what that is before we get into that show. But with no further ado, let's bring on Jesse and Tarl. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Jesse, can you tell us a little bit about yourself for those of our audience who don't know you already? Well, what's up, Dave? Thanks for having us. James, Tarl, how are you guys? Um, so started flipping in 2010 after the market crashed. I was a big REO agent, so sold hundreds and hundreds of houses. Kind of, you know, started seeing everybody else buy my stuff. And I said, what the hell is going on here? Why are these people buying homes that are depressed, right? That are underwater, but the rest of America don't want to buy anything. 
and picked up uh, one of the investors, started working with them, became a mentor and taught me the game of flipping. Um, still one of my good friends to this day. I still lean on him. Um, and then here I am, you know, 12 years later after doing that very first deal that I bought for $65,000 in Southern California, which is like Ooh. insane when you think about it. It's like 650,000 now. Yeah. Um, I probably should have learned the buy and hold game in 2010 <laughs> because of what I would be right now. Um, but over 400 flips later, still active, uh, 17 in my pipeline today in this crazy market that we're in. Um, you know, I'm terrified of it and love it. It's an addiction. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm flipping in Southern California, which is one of the hardest markets in the country to kind of really do it where my average purchase price is like a million bucks and average rehabs 350,000. So when you say 15 or 16 deals, all of a sudden it's like it equals 20 million bucks out, which is a lot of money. And, you know, thank God James gives me all his money so I can do it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's been fun, man. I love doing it. It's crazy. Nice. Well, we can at least give you a, a space to talk about your addiction here today and in, in, uh, in good company. Tall, you've obviously been around Bigger Pockets for a very long time and a regular on our YouTube channel. But for those of you who don't know you, can you tell us a bit about your flipping experience? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so I bought a seminar in 2005 when I was 20 years old. It was called How to Turn $10 into $10,000 in 30 Days or Less. Uh, and it was about wholesaling real estate. Uh, I did three deals. And the third deal we made hundred grand on as a double close. Uh, and then I quit because I hated every second of it. So uh, I didn't get back into it until 2010. Um, and actually, it's funny, Jesse. So you said you were an REO agent. Were you in Southern California at the time? Yeah, Southern California. Yeah. So we, uh, I got associated with a company called Charter Home Alliance outside of uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, where we were a SAM contractor for Fannie Mae. So we would do uh, service area management. So we would do construction for Fannie Mae on REOs. And that's how I got back into the industry was I flew around and opened up seven different states. Uh, and basically, in a nutshell, met all the REO agents, met all the contractors, set up tons of networks. Uh, and through that, got involved back into uh, investing in real estate mainly because it was just everything was just sitting there and REO was insane. And uh, we had access to all the infrastructure and operations. So me and two of my buddies basically you know, started another company and then started buying. Um, that went well until February 2014. And then the three of us broke up because the other two became, in my opinion, they became crazy. Uh, money does funny things to <laughs> third people. So one of them got into drugs and it was just stupid stuff. And I left immediately. Uh, never wanted to do it again. And then in October, 2014, one of the funds that we partnered with a lot hit me up in Seattle. This is when I moved to Seattle, uh, and said, Hey, let's partner up and JV on deals. Uh, and I started fixated real estate at that time. That's why I started buying a ton from Jimmy, actually James Dainer and all this, uh, I think in what, 2015 or 2016, about 30 houses from me. I can't remember how many, but like, uh, but that was how I got back into the business. And then by mid 2015, um, I stopped partnering with people and started doing everything internally uh, at that point and went crazy. So uh, if you add everything up, approaching probably 680 plus deals or so, give or take uh, since 2010. And that also includes all my partnership ones that I did with my buddies uh, in 2010, 11, 12, 13, and part of 14. Uh, and then, yeah, mostly Seattle, Tacoma since 2015, uh, also Portland. And now I live in Austin. Nice. Do you still hate it? Oh, I've never liked it. Not yeah. Austin, just real estate. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I like Austin. Um, no, that's I've only done real estate for money, and I've never enjoyed it uh, too much. I've enjoyed <laughs> I've enjoyed the bank account. Uh, I've enjoyed 
Wait, are you being I, serious? Honestly, I love that. I'm 100% That's serious. Great. It's, a means, it's a means to an end, right? Yeah. You don't have to love it. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say it like that. That's so successful. I love it. I actually hate it. Just like the money. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's fun. It's more fun to say, yeah, I hate real estate. I mean, I've never said, I, I hate moments for sure. Like I can't, I love holding on to real estate now, which is great uh, until a tenant becomes an issue and I hear about it. Like I do everything I can to know nothing about what's going on with our tenants on our properties, but I know we're going through an eviction right now. And like, I hate hearing about that stuff uh, and, and whatnot. And then, uh, so it's, you know, it's great when I look at my balance sheet. Uh, that's fun. It's funny you say that because I hate rentals. Like I'm addicted to the flip. Like, I mean, any deal, whenever I buy a rental and I have James owns, you know, a, a few, um, I look at it and I go, yes, $200 in cash flow. Woo, let's go, baby. Right. And then I'm like, or flip it and make $42,000. And it's like, now here I am 10 years later and I have like eight freaking rentals. That's it. And it's like, probably should have kept some of those, but we're in the same boat on that. I didn't keep my first rental till 2016. And at the end of the day, each property has a purpose, right? And that's the purpose of flipping. We could keep them, you can buy them. But at the time you're, you're making a decision to increase you know, you know, every property, I don't really have any regrets of the properties I sold because each flip had a purpose, right? And, you know, for the last 20 years as we've been flipping homes, it always has a purpose and you have to kind of adapt and change with the markets, right? And and right now, the purpose is- The purpose just making you as much money as possible. It's to grow your cash, right? The more cash and capital you have, the more passive income you can have. And the more passive income you've got coming in, the less you can, or the more you can chill out, even though I have not figured out how to chill out yet. But, yeah. you know, it all has a purpose. And, you know, right now, it would have been great to keep them. But in today's market, it's hard to keep rental properties because the rates are so high, right? And flipping has a really good purpose in today's market. You can buy properties, still increase your cash. And with the cost of money being very expensive and everything being expensive, it will grow the capital. And, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about flipping in today's market, you know, and, and, and this market has been changing rapidly uh, with the interest rates. And, you know, and I think what we're diving into deep today is you can flip in any type of market. I'm excited to have Jesse and Tarl in here because they're a bunch of deal junkies and I get along well with deal junkies. So chasing that deal and growing money, you know, with flipping right now though, you know, Jesse, I know you're in a very expensive market, right? That the rates are expensive. I know for us as, as borrowers and flippers, cost of money has gone from eight, 9% to 10 to 12%. What, what kind of changes have you made in today's market with buying with the cost of money being at where it's at your whole times? And then also with the dispos taking a, bit, a little bit longer, because it makes a huge impact when you're buying a million bucks, that's 10, 12 grand a month in your whole times. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a ton. So I'm at, you know, just under one point and nine and a half still. So my rates are still pretty good on hard money, um, with a, a 15% down of, you know, low to cost. So it's decent. I, I loved it when it was 10% down. The key right now is I bought, I'm buying a lot less though, James, like where I used to keep 25, you know, flips going at one time. And, you know, that doesn't mean I'm flipping 25 at one time, it just means I'm holding 25 and making payments on a bunch while I'm flipping 10. So I've gone down to 11, 15, because I'm trying to turn them faster. Like I looked at the math and I said, how many crews do I have, right? Let's divide it up. How fast can I turn these? How long can I let something sit? Because the problem with when you're a flipper is you don't ever want to say no to a deal, right? You never, someone brings you an opportunity, you say no, you worry that it'll come back again. One, I've got some patience now and I've been okay to say no to some stuff and let them realize, hey, I'm still buying. I just need to sit tight on this one because I, I maxed out, right? But it's all about speed. Because we see rates right now are going up. What's going to happen? We're hitting the, the winter months. Is it going to slow down? 
We had a great peak this uh, spring where everything I sold, I sold for five, 8% above list price, which was fantastic. You know, and when you look at it, it's, I'm looking at the average of the whole year. Like I hate what could be coming here in a couple of months in November and December where I list something and I might get 5% less now, but I made up for it in the front half of the year. So the way I look at like, I'm always flipping and I've been flipping for 10 years straight is I don't necessarily can look at every deal on a deal by deal um, basis. Like obviously I want to win on every single deal, but I'm okay with looking at like, all right, I flipped 28 this year. I was definitely way up on all of them. Couple that didn't work out because I went, you know, overrun on cost or timing or, you know, I did a bunch of projects where I'm adding accessory dwelling units. So that picked up the timeline instead of six months. I'm at 12 months. I'm at 15 months on some of them. But the value add is so big that I'm able to offset, right? If the market adjusts a little bit. So there's like a balance there in those that I really like. So a lot of it right now is just speed, speed, speed. Um, and luckily my money is still pretty good. But when I started, I was at three points and 12%. Like, you know, on my hard money, I see people like, oh, rates are so high. Rates are so high. I'm like, I mean, I flipped a, ton, a couple hundred homes at three points and 12%. So, you know, it can still be done. Just buy better. I was getting loan shark money it, back in the day. It seemed like in 2008, we were, we were financing at four points and 18%. And that was like the best we could do in Woo! 2008. It was not. And I'm pretty sure my legs would have got broke. if We didn't return the money. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, like to that point, though, Jimmy, like, I mean, we all. You know, those of us that were in the market, even in that time period, uh, you know, there's, you, I think about like why Jesse, you didn't buy, you hold on to much. I didn't hold on to much. It's like, it was hard to get long-term financing, but it was easy to get, you know, you had hard money. So it was like, you know, a lot of us were flipping because money was harder to get. Uh, and, but deals were out there. And I think that's just something to, to realize, like a lot of us, we can't wait for the market to crash if it crashes at all. But when it does, money's harder to get. Uh, and people usually run away from it at that point or they don't keep the deals or they flip them or whatever, wholesale or something like that. Yeah. Cause the DSCR, right. Wasn't around in 2008, 9, 10, 11 and 12, when you could buy everything for under a hundred grand in California and then burr out of it. Right. Like that's a newer product. Um, so you're, so you're right. I remember having these amazing deals, having a ton of equity and then being like, okay, I can't refi out of them. Cause I already own four or five in my name where there used to be a cap on conventional financing on how many you can have in your name and things like that. Right. So it's been good the last couple of years with all the Burr um, and the DSCR stuff. And, and, you know, James, you mentioned earlier about like, it, there's a function for the money. And right now, maybe if we can't refinance out of stuff or it doesn't make sense to hold the rental. So yeah, this is the, the, the capital, you know, growth phase of our business versus the last few years, you guys, I mean, James, you probably held on to a lot of deals in the last two, three years when you were able to get three and a half, four and a half percent, you know, DSCR loans, I would imagine. Now, if those aren't penciling, now you're like, just turn the money, build more capital. If the market shifts in another two years and rates come down again, then you move to that cycle again and you hold more rentals. Am I guessing that correctly? Yeah. You, as, as capital gets constrained and, you know, I think this is a good thing to discuss, like flippers have to adjust in every market you have to adjust in. And, you know, uh, money was really loose that, you know, you had DSCR loans, which were basically loans that covered, you know, but your income would get you qualified for the loan, right? So if you had higher rents, the lender's going to uh, lend your loan amounts based on the income you're bringing in. Hard money was cheaper too. Down payments were lower. And what's happened with hard money is it's gone kind of back to what it was. Standard hard money downs were 20% down. And that's, you know, and lenders have to protect themselves as the market gets riskier. And that's what it, it's done for flippers is it's tightened up the market again. But it's just, you know, as the money increases, that just means we have to pivot. And so, you know, Jesse and Antaro, what, what pivots have you guys had to make when you're buying now, right? 
when you have an extra two to three points on your monthly interest, I know it's affected us quite a bit because, you know, we've been flipping a lot of multi-million dollar properties. So if I got a $2 million loan, my payment is 20, 22 grand a month. And if I got 10 of them, it's a big nut. And, and so, you know, that, that basically boxes me into where I can only do a certain amount of projects of that size. What pivots have you guys made to buying in today's market, right? Because as the market has cooled down, it's also created some amazing opportunities. We've been buying things a lot cheaper right now. How have you adjusted around? You know, for us, we got to buy deeper. We add extra uh, carry timelines on there. You know, if we think we're going to, if our average flip was taking about six to seven months, we're running our performance at eight to nine months just to be safe. What, what adjustments have you made with this cost of money? Because it has really locked up some flippers and it's made a lot of them go to the sidelines rather than just keep buying. Well, I'm seeing like I've moved a lot back to the minor cosmetic, like when I started in 2008, 2010. So Turnberg right? Trying to get into a property and, and see if I can flip it in four months, but not doing the additions, not doing the accessory dwelling units like I've done for the last couple of years. It's not to say I won't do one if I see a big opportunity, but I've got a handful of the deals that I've sold in the last three months that it was lipstick. I mean, it was just new cabinets, new countertops, laminate wood floors, like the way I used to do it. Like the stuff that I don't want to post on Instagram, the finished product looks like something that Tarl would have to flip my flip, right? But I'm getting in and getting out fast and make it 40 grand. Um, and the carrying costs are very low. Hard money lenders are very happy with me right now. My private guys, cause I'm turning the capital because, you know, a year ago they're like, Hey man, you're holding on to this loan for 12 months, 14 months. Like we need you to start turning this a little bit quicker. So I'm really glad the adjustment happened. Cause it kind of got me back to the beginning of when I first started flipping and how it was just a volume game, just quick, 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 instead of chasing big home runs on large purchase prices. Uh, that's probably the biggest adjustment that I've made. For me, I mean, full disclosure on my part, like, uh, I wouldn't say I'm one of the guys on the sidelines, but I definitely for sure uh, am not like on the starting line right now when it comes to investing out there. Uh, I've been looking for any excuse whatsoever for probably the last like four years to stop buying properties. And when, you know, last year, you know, I, I already moved out of Washington, you know, almost my, all my properties I own are in uh, Seattle and Tacoma area. Uh, and like, I was just looking for an excuse even before the market shifted, uh, and before rates even went up to like, just stop buying like in that area to begin with for a period of time. And I think it's just cause I was burnt out of that area and I just didn't want to be there. Uh, that's had nothing to do with markets whatsoever. It just had everything to do with personal lifestyle. Uh, but when the market changed and when the rates went up, uh, I used that as a reason to say like, all right, I just don't want to buy right now. Uh, so we closed everything out last year. And then here in the Austin area, I was really seriously looking for some time. Uh, what we did instead did when it comes to finance and money, when it comes to debt wise, the stuff that we have done uh, has been more with private capital and also with private lenders instead of traditional lenders. Uh, and any type of financing that I've had to do outside of that has all been just internal stuff that I've already had with lines of credit and so forth. Uh, and it's just made it a lot cleaner on our end. Um, Right now, I'm very seriously digging into multiple markets to jump back into. I'm still looking at Seattle Tacoma uh, to jump back in there again. Uh, that's why I was like, "Hey, Jimmy, I'll call you later." Uh, but for <laughs> the but for the most part, like there's a few other markets that I'm more focused on just because of cash flow purposes and being able to buy cash, uh, raising money, and so forth to be able to do that instead as a cash hold. Uh, instead of having to deal with having to get debt and rely on DSERs and all that stuff right now with rates being so high. Uh, and that's what I'm more focused on more than anything right now is it's forced me to do what I should have done a while ago, which is focused on the long term. Uh, I think one of the things that I've loved about house flipping is that, you know, I, I joke about like you get to weigh your money instead of count it. Right. 
when you do it right. But the but at the same time, like yeah, you know, we have I have a good buddy of mine that only bought and hold since basically two thousand nine, uh, and he worked really really he does really really well with budgets. Right, he would have to you know he's making two hundred bucks a month on a house. Right, he'd have to save money up and go buy another down payment and buy get another down payment and save up for another down payment or leverage and get a line of credit and then use that to go get more down payments on the houses and then pay those off, you know, so forth. So he's really good at budgeting. When you look at a lot of house flippers that were making a lot of money, like we were the opposite, right? Like we didn't have to budget as much because we were making so much cash um, and whatnot for it. So it also had me thinking short term all the time, like six month increments and six month increments instead of long term increments and. Uh, you know, for me personally, with the way rates are, uh, the it's I'm happy that it's done that. Like I'm, I'm hoping that the rates don't ever go down anytime soon. Uh, I hope they stay up. Why? Because you want prices to go down? I don't think it's going to affect single family uh, as much as people might believe uh, due to rates. Um, we can talk about unemployment. I think that'll affect single family more than the rates will. Uh, the but I want I don't want if the rates dropped right now today I think it would just destroy our economy like in so many ways like there's there's reasons for that it's already on track for that but like it will real estate shouldn't spike up like it did the last few years like it's just we all know that we've all benefited from benefited from that I'm think I'm thankful for it uh, but at the same time if it all of a sudden just dropped dramatically right now. Uh, it's going to create more issues than good and also bring more people back in the market and create more competition in the short run, drive prices up again, uh, which I don't think is a good thing. And I got a lot to say about that, but like, that's kind of where my brain is right now. I, I want the rates to stay up right now. So why, why then are you considering jumping back into the market and are you looking at flipping or more of a buy and hold strategy? Both. So the, the reason why I'm jumping back in is he, I can't time the market, right? So it's at the end of the day. Uh, you know, for me, I took a little break and being able to just have more fun and shore up some stuff, uh, on my end, we've been putting more money into the deals we already have. Uh, we have some commercial properties. We've built up more. We have some single families. We have some build projects that we wanted to get back on track and stuff for our end, uh, and more focusing on that to be more strategic this time and not just reaction, reacting to just flip, 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 buy, buy, cause you have a machine that you have to feed. Uh, that's one of the things that is cool is you get to build this great operation but when it comes to flipping but at the same time you got to feed that machine and and i always kind of hated like having to flip to feed the machine uh versus being able to keep everything and whatnot which um, that's just more my mentality lifestyle wise in my head <laughs> dave i'm sorry i ranted what was the question again no, <laughs> no i no, you answered my question i was just asking about uh flipping or, or renting oh, it so sounds both, like both right? yeah both opportunistically like yeah. so it's the uh, but more on the long-term thinking of it. So dollar cost averaging houses like and whatnot, being able to sit there and go like, I can't time when the best market is, right? For I've thought the market was going to crash since 2016. And every single month, I'm like, this is the month we're all doomed. And and I've been wrong every freaking time, right? So the when COVID hit and banks stopped lending, I'm like, get rid of everything, right? But we didn't do that, but I was definitely thinking it. Um, so I'm sure some of us were too, but uh, the... But at the same time, I'm like, I can't do that. So I'm instead, I think single family is still a good investment. Uh, I think that for me, getting back in the game uh, more hardcore over the next 18 months has a lot to do with what I think might happen in the multifamily world and commercial world later down the line. So that we have we're we're building up our credibility still in the space in different markets. So that way, when things kind of fall apart in the other asset classes, uh, we already have the ground and operations set up in the markets we want to be in to be able to maybe grab some bank owned properties that are more on the multifamily side. 
And, and before we move on, I just, Charles, I want to ask, because I think you're, you're one of the, I think the only one here who's like actively looking at new markets. Uh, what are you looking for in those new markets for flipping or buy and hold? Uh, so we're looking at everything as cash. Like, so we're not really caring about the interest rates as much. So things have the pencil out there. Uh, so it's gotta be, I mean, just, I mean, I could list some of the markets, but like for the most part, uh, you know, if we're buying something cash and forcing the appreciation on it through the burst strategy, but without actually refinancing instead, holding it cash, uh, then, you know, these markets have to have, be able to pencil out like at least in an eight cap of some sort, seven to eight cap, uh, for a rental buy and hold, but that's also forcing the appreciation through the burst strategy. And if at the same time, right, there's got to be demand in those areas and have property management in those areas and all that stuff. Cause we, we don't self-manage inside. So there's great markets that, that I've been kind of looking at that are fantastic for maybe a flip, but would suck or buy and hold because property management would suck uh, in that area. And at the, at the same time for us, you know, we're looking at like where are people moving to, like where are the jobs going? What's the stability? Is it a one, you know, one, was it one trick pony kind of town, right? That's out there. That's dependent on, you know, one industry, like just all the basic stuff that you're going to want to look at for long-term growth versus flips. There's tons of, but you can fl- I think you can flip anywhere. Like in my opinion, <laughs> like it's the, doesn't matter what's happening in that market. I literally think you could flip anywhere and jump into a market and, and make something happen. It's just, do you want to hold on to that property for five to 10 years in that market? That's where the, that's where the challenges kind of come in. Um, that kind of change our thinking on things. And it's, I've never thought long-term in this business ever. <laughs> so it's always been six months at a time. Uh, so it's been an interesting uh, game that we've been playing lately on my end to to get rid of that thinking. Yeah, and I think what Tarl kind of mentioned is a lot of flippers did. They either, you know, they took a little break to to re- look at what's going on with their current existing business to make the strategy, you know, to change their strategies around reset because this market is creating different types of opportunities to flip properties a different way. Uh, you know, things that have caused us issues are like the cost of labor, right? The market has gone up dramatically over the last three years. The labor has been a nightmare getting people to work and getting people to show up. And, and with, with things that, you know, especially like in expensive markets, like Jesse, I know you're in L.A., right? Not only was there a lot of flippers going on, there was a lot of residential purchasers buying and building their dream homes, which is sucking up a lot of our flipping talent. And and so, Jesse, how have you combated? Because I know like in West Coast cities, Charles there, I'm there. They're expensive. The labor is a lot more expensive. How like, you know, as we go into this new market, rates have changed is creating different types of opportunities that you can buy. Right. You know, for so things that we're looking at is how do we how do we also reduce the labor costs and do things a little bit differently? What have you been doing to get those costs down? Because that's a big deal going in. Money's expensive. Labor's expensive. And. The resale is not quite as expensive as it was, so you got to change things around. So, what have you been doing to kind of battle that um, that that labor market down? It's a, it's been a huge nuisance for us. Yeah, so I, I think that the fact that there was like COVID and everybody started building actually helped me because I definitely had a laziness factor where I had my handful of crews that I've worked with for so long that I stopped kind of micromanaging the numbers, right? It's like, you know, a roof would used to be 10 grand, then it went to 22,000 or whatever. And it was like, well, but my prices went up a hundred grand. So I'm making more money. So it makes sense that they're making more money. And I just didn't question it. Then last year's market happened. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, this market's going down. What are we going to do? And I adjusted and I said, okay, well, I need to just get through my inventory. So I stopped buying for nine or 10 months, Tarl, just kind of like what you talked about. And it was all a function of, I just want capital to come back in so I can reassess. And when I was doing that, 
all of a sudden I'm like, hey, I need to go get three bids for this roof. Like, like, let's clean up all these systems. Let's button down the budget. Let's like, let's make sure that we're, we're not just being sloppy because we're used to doing so many deals and used to making money and we weren't watching it. So the biggest thing we did, James, was just kind of get back to the basics of saying, you know, Hey, I love you and I appreciate you. And I know we worked together for five years, but your prices have creeped on me a ton. So I'm just going to get, go get two more bids. Right. And then I can get those bids and I can go back to leveraging them. And, and the one thing, because, you know, when you have a crew that you've been working with for five years, 10 years, that they've never had to go get another job because they know that Jesse's always feeding the machine, like Tarl said, right? Like it's like, I got to make sure I keep buying a house because I don't want to lose that crew. That is a legitimate fear because I don't want to have to go out there and train. Well, last year when I knew I was downsizing the business and slowing it down, I was like, oh, I'm starting over essentially. I don't mind going and interviewing new crews. And that was huge. I brought my, my cost down on these rehabs like 30, 35%. Uh, I mean, it was just, and it was kind of sad to say like how, how loose I was for so long because when money's coming in, you know, you don't necessarily need to, to micromanage every little piece of it. So for the last 10 months, 11 months, we've been buying a ton right? And scaling the business back up, but at these better margins now, at these better like expense models, um, which has been really, really cool. So plus making sure that I'm flipping them faster. Like yesterday I did a video where I said, I'm, I'm busting the Dave Ramsey debt model of stacking payments to chip away at one credit card, then move all that money to the next. It's called the flip stacking model. I'm moving three crews to a house today, mm-hmm. right? Cause I'm like, Hey, if this market's going to adjust on us the next three months and I've got 11, right? Am I working on 11 at a time? And then I'm five months from now and then they all come on the market. I'm like, no, I need something on the market in two weeks. So it's like landscape crew, exterior crew, interior crew, pull them from one, from three different houses onto one and get everything, get that house done in two weeks and then stack that crew to the next one. Cause now I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm getting something on the market every two to three weeks instead of the last five months of like, Oh, I'm going to have all these beautiful projects. And then you're kind of slow because you're waiting for a sub. It's like, no, I'm moving everybody. And I don't care if they're on top of each other. And I don't care if they're pissed off at me that, you know, the painter doesn't like that the one guy's there. Right. And they're always pointing fingers. It's like, deal with it. I need this house done. Everybody's on. We need to be on the market by September 15th. And then the next project by October 1st and the next project by October 15th. So that, that, uh, that was, a, I think a, a topic that I did or an idea that I did six, seven months ago when the market was different or a year ago and it really worked. And then all of a sudden I stopped doing it again. And then now I'm like, go right back to that model. Let's push, push, push. So, um, just micromanaging the crews more than ever, uh, has been a huge way to get those costs down and making them realize that I'm not just a fat cat that they can always count on. And then I'm not checking their budgets or their numbers anymore. It's really interesting. Everyone, you know, you sort of get complacent and you start trusting people. And I, I mean, it's just inevitable, but I'm curious, how big a turnover was it? You, you run a lot of crews. Like how many are you still with uh, that were with you before you started this crackdown? So last year, seven crews that I had for multiple years. Um, and I'm down to two. Oh, Okay. So, so, uh, so, yeah, but you're, are you still at seven total crews, but you replaced five? No. So from seven down to two up to five. So okay. added three more, um, a lot of su- like what I'm realizing is the, the old model of like the two man crew or the three man crew that would do everything on a house, um, doesn't seem to make sense today. Like it did seven, eight years ago. Right. Like I'm actually finding that it's cheaper to go to every single sub. than it, then the idea where it used to be like, Oh, this one crew does paint, laminate, baseboards, they install cabinets, right? They do all the, you know, minor electrical, minor plumbing. Now it's like, dude, it's cheaper for me to go with a stucco guy than to have my two man crew. Cause when you're paying these guys 200 bucks a day or 250 a day, you know, for a two, three person crew, 
And then it takes them three weeks to do stucco versus a professional crew that comes in. Like the cost may be the same, but the speed, like that's the biggest thing right now. Everything is speed. If I can have a stucco crew out there while I have the, the wood floor guys on the inside, right? While someone else is building a fence on the exterior, it's better to go that route because I just knocked out three trades in the same week and a half than having that crew that kind of jumped because I was trying to save 20 grand, right? It's not saved me 20 grand when we have 10% interest rates on these hard money loads. I think, I think the biggest thing you just said to everybody listening to this is how much uh, we're all excited to be learning how to flip houses because we want to learn construction. And the all of us got into this business because we love construction, right? And the fact that you just mapping out like that you, a lot of what you just said, Jesse, though, requires a lot of um, project coordination, project management, uh, timing, you know, being able to figure out like not st- making sure the subs don't step on each other and stuff that you don't have you know, electrician going in there at the wrong time and the same thing you know, with plumbers and HVAC guys and whatever. But that requires a lot of, which is all true. I mean, the three of us, uh, Dave, I don't know if you flipped, sorry. Nope. Uh, for the three of us that do, we've, most of us have gone to that model of hiring subs directly versus the one GC, but it, it's because we leveled up our construction game because we had to, right? At some point, if we all wanted to, we'd hire one GC and walk away and never see the house again until it's done. And they call us up saying you can list it, right? Uh, the, that'd be freaking awesome, right? That doesn't happen. We just have to be better buyers to do that, right? Like if we can get it for 30 cents on the dollar, let the builder do it. Yeah. <laughs> let him make his 25% GC fee. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> but that's what happened when, you know, when the market shifted. I think it brought up so much to, to people how bad they were at their, their operations in their business in a sense, right? And where, you know, our business as house flippers or investors, the 80 plus percent of it, is in the construction and the rehab, like at the, on the day-to-day working aspect of it, the acquisition side of it, you can be like me where I don't, you know, we don't door knock or do direct marketing. We just go buy from wholesalers and agents. Right. So you have to have that aspect of making sure you're comping the properties correctly and you're getting the right deal. Or you can be a business that's also direct marketing and acquisition and sales, like all that great stuff. And you're buying the properties in addition to rehab. So the, but if you're just focusing on buying the properties and most of the business is in the construction and the rehab and getting, making sure you're staying that budget. And, uh, with, with the way things have been, I think it woke up a lot of house flippers to be like how bad they were at that. Uh, and in order to make the business work today, it's having more sure numbers. I remember Jimmy, I don't know if you remember this. I remember you and I talking on the phone, I think in 2022 or 2021, I can't remember. I think it's 2021. We were just like, Let's just throw darts to figure out what construction cost is going to be today because it's changing so dramatically. <laughs> but that said, like the other aspect of when the market shifted, a lot of house flippers, there's a number of house flippers that were terrified of losing losing their ass basically and losing money and where rates are and whatnot because their projects were behind. And there's a bunch that did. Uh, but Jimmy, not to keep bringing you up, but I remember us being at BPCon last year. And we were kind of talking about that. And I agree 100% with what you said. Like these guys that were complaining about losing money, they're they're not remembering that they made like a million bucks flipping houses already. They just didn't save any of their money. And yeah. so the, the reason why most house flippers lose at markets like this is because of poor cash flow. Uh, and I mean my business cash flow. And, and and how most flippers the last you know few years thought they were geniuses because they flipped a house and it made a hundred grand more yeah, totally. than they expected, even though their the rehab cost went up fifty thousand and they still made a hundred, right? It's like had nothing to do with the flipper, it had to do with the market just went up a ton because of COVID, right? And then they started getting cocky and then they started buying at lower spreads because everything was like, well, this deal has upside. And that's terrible. I mean, it's like, that is the quickest way to exit this damn business as a flipper. 
is to like break your buy box just because you want to do a deal. Yeah. Or spend all your money. So the it's, I mean, we lost 150,000 last year on properties, but like that would destroy a lot of people. But at the same time, it's like, all right, well, it's because we have cash that we were able to handle it. And it's also an average of all the houses we do and everything. It's just part of the business. Uh, and, but it's, I guess the thing I'm trying to say is that if you're in this business, make sure you're managing your cash flow because it's things change, stuff happens. Along those lines, are you seeing people leave the business? Not not as voluntarily as Taro may have, but uh, <laughs> due to force of circumstance. Um, I have like there's you can see it in. I mean, I don't know who else has access to this stuff. But you can see, kind of see it in like uh, the amount of people like looking for new debt, right? And so what I've noticed is that people that have were the A players before COVID and during COVID. Uh, are we're been more likely to kind of wait and see because they've already built it up. Like that's what I've seen at least from people I've talked to, all the event stuff that we host and everything. Uh, that they're more likely to not be jumping head first because they don't want to have to. From what I've noticed, they don't want to lose what they built. So it's more of a fear aspect of uh, I have my I've built this up. I don't want to lose it by risking it. So they've already risked it before to build it. So they don't want to do it again. And that's not everybody for sure. That's but there's definitely a good chunk of people out there like that. And scared money don't make money. hundred percent. That is, it's like people are leaving. It's like, good. So I'm thankfully, because it honestly was too oversaturated for a minute and people were making bad decisions. And like what we talked about is people got lazy, including myself. It's like, you could buy anything and it was going up in value. You could mismanage your project. You were going to make money. Now it's gotten back to the, the grassroots of flipping, buy a good deal manage the construction, manage your plan. You can make a, a account for your cost and you can make money at it. And what it's done is it's, it's funny because you hear people say like, Oh, flipping is a terrible thing right now. It's like, <laughs> I hope everyone continues to think so because the margins we are getting, you know, we were buying at a 30% cash on cash return prior to COVID. And that's with leverage in there. It's about, it's about a 13 to 15% cash on cash return. Now we are hitting 50 to 60% cash on cash with big fixers in there. So the margin has doubled. So it makes it less risky, even though the market's a little bit hairy right now, rates keep creeping up. It's very surgy. People show up one day, they don't show up the next. And it, it you kind of have to weigh it out. But as long as you can pad it and there's enough margin in the deal, yeah, you might end up, the, my worst case scenario on a couple of my deals is I work for free. I'm still going through the process, but if the market corrects further, uh, you know, there's still enough padding in there to get the deal done. And so there's some really, really good opportunities if you can put your pen to pencil and you want to figure it out. Like Jesse said, bring out more people, have it bid out numerous times. We basically fired every one of our contractors from the last couple of years and we restart because it's like either get on the ship or get off the ship. And unfortunately, a lot of them now they're all calling us for work too. like, hey, can I get work? Yep. And it's like, hey, no, I will give you work, but we got to talk about this. And so this, the sediment, it, it's funny, it goes in surges, just like your, your flippers are no different than your consumers. Every time the rate shifts like a quarter point, they show up to your house and it goes back up. They don't show the flippers are the same way. They're like, oh, I heard it goes well. I'm going to look for a second and then pull back out. So if you consistently keep buying, the margins are better. Yeah. That's a dollar cost averaging aspect of it where, I mean, like you can't time the market. You just got to, but it's all, I mean, everybody's got their personal preference with what they want to do with their money. Uh, at the same time. But Tara, I was, I wanted to ask you about that because dollar cost averaging, I feel like works really well for rentals where there's less risk of like principal law, like actually losing money. Like you could underperform, but it's kind of a paper loss for people who are relatively new. Do you still recommend that strategy? Because you 
like if they have all of this capital invested into a pretty, you know, volatile industry right now, you might not get to to average it out. It might just be one and done yeah. for you. Yeah. No, you got to make money on that deal. Yeah. <laughs> like your first one, you got to, you got to hit you gotta, it. Yeah. Got to make money on that yeah. first. You got to make money on the first 10, right? Not, like, not I mean, on my advice ever, ever, whether it's on my Instagram or anything I've ever done has ever been for new people. I just want to throw that out there. Like, this, okay. like yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, fair, no, it's, fair. you got to have money to yeah. lose like, and be okay with it. And you're always risking. I mean, everything at the same time and everything we do is educated guessing. Like that's, that's what it is. We're like, Hey, I feel really well educated and I'm guessing really strong. Cause you know, I've done this enough. Like it's, it's, you're measuring risk, risk equals reward. Like it's all about mitigating that risk and whatever you're comfortable with. And I've seen a lot of new people that when the market was going up, still lose their ass because they didn't know how to mm -hmm. measure their risk of associated like appropriately. Like it's just, it doesn't matter what's going on with the market. It could be going up and you could lose money. <laughs> and there's plenty of people that did that. Right. And there could be going down and you can make a ton of money. Like it's just, so I'm not really too concerned about that. Um, but whoever's investing, I mean, if you're taking, if you're taking your hard earned cash or other people's hard earned cash, I hope you, I hope you know what you're doing. Right. That's what it boils down to. You know, I, I always say, and, and, and this is going to go opposite. Like I always felt like flipping was not, is not risky. And I, you know, it's for, it's, there's so much science to it. If you follow the science, right. And, and you establish a really good buy box, like 65% of ARV or 70%, you know what I mean? Like the market would really have, like everything would have to go wrong. Right. Which of course it could happen. Um, but like, even through the last like year, like there was one loss that I took in the last 10 years on a house, right? Like uh, there was some break evens or made five or 10 grand, but like, and that loss that I took was out when I went out of state, when I left my, my core market and I was like, Oh, I want to buy in park city. Um, I also bought it to be an Airbnb. Right. So I had this, like this one plan and then decide like construction went bad. Everything took forever. Snowstorms hit. And then I was like, you know what? Forget this dude. I don't want this rental. The rents aren't going to be as good. And then I I decided to sell it. And that's when I took the hundred thousand dollar loss. And I was honestly like happy to take it. Cause I was like, just get me the heck out of this market. Like I moved to something I don't know, go back to where the science makes sense for me, where I know Southern California real estate. Like I know it inside and out being a realtor here for 17 years. And, um, so I always like, I feel so comfortable and safe flipping if I stay within my parameters. I do want to add to that though. Like it's just to not to kind of throw it like out there, but it's for those people that are anybody listening to this, that's not on the West coast. They might not have those same experiences with flipping and feeling comfortable with it. Cause us on the West coast have definitely, we definitely benefit like when it comes to market appreciation versus other markets and so forth. So it's not always the the same when it comes to that. Yeah. Market. Well, and that's why I won't buy out of state. Like, you know, you see a lot of talk about, you know, at, like go get deals in Columbus, Ohio or rentals. It's like, even like to buy a rental in California is so expensive. But when I look at like, okay, it's expensive. I get more depreciation. I'm going to get more of an appreciation play over years, right? Cause this is one of those markets that goes up the most rents increase at a crazy high rate. Um, so if you are really good at buying like every great flip or not every, most great flips are usually good rentals, right? Because you're buying for, you know, 60 cents on the dollar. Um, and then we have all this upside. So it's like when I have this, this great debate with friends that are like, dude, go buy 50 units in Ohio. And I'm like, I'll go buy a four unit in LA, you know, where a one bedroom rents for 3,500 bucks a month, you know, like just, and, and so, but that, I think it's, I stay within my comfort zone and why I think it, it's safe to be an investor, right? You know, follow your buy box and stay where you know the market. I'm, you know, I bought one deal last uh, couple months ago in Johnson City, Tennessee. Random as all can be, because I was like, I want to test 
you know, a place where I'm buying something for 70 grand that if everything goes sideways, it's like, all right, who cares? It's 70 grand. You know, I'll still make a, you know, 5% cash on cash return, no debt on it, you know, stuff like that. And then I'll see if I feel comfortable and start to go in those directions and do a little bit of more out of state. But every time I do the math on it, I'm like, just go buy a fourplex in LA, right? With ADU laws, make it six units. It's such an easy way to make money. Um, I feel like in a comfort, in a comfortable area. All right. So before we get out of here, this has been this has been a, a very uh, interesting conversation. Did not go the way I was expecting it to, and I like that. We could change it. What do you want us to say? Like, I know. Yeah. What, what was the topic? <laughs> no, I I love it. I I really like the uh, diversity of opinions here. It's great. Um, but I am curious if people are interested in getting into flipping. Let's start with you, Jesse. Like, do you have any advice on what they should be thinking about as we head into not just a, an already difficult time, going into a difficult season of the year with rates marching upward? What would you uh, in, what what advice would you offer? So I'd say like when you know when you're penciling something out, overestimate on your rehabs, overestimate on how long it's going to take you. Right, just build a buffer in every single direction, which means it's going to be harder to buy the deal. But if you do that, then the science is going to make sense and you're going to be safer. So I also think that flipping, I made a lot of money through the downturn. I made a lot of money in the up. I think we're going to be fine. And just stick to buying something and be quick with it, right? Like if you're going to buy something and you're going to, oh, it's going to take me 15 months to do and you're, don't do it, right? Don't buy something that's tenant occupied. Like I get people all the time. It's like, I see this great deal. It's got tenants in it. Like, no, not in California. Do not do that. Right. Buy something vacant, buy something that could be a minor, a minor cosmetic fix, get in and out in 90 days or back on the market in 90 days. And you'll make a little bit of money. You'll win. You'll feel good. You'll learn a lot because it's education on the first five, 10 deals. Right. You're going to have to go through all those growing pains and us with four five, 600 deals are still learning. So I would just uh, take it safe. And I'm not a big off market guy. Like I'm big into agent outreach. Like I love getting deals from realtors. I feel like I get some of the best deals I've ever gotten, not necessarily the MLS, but just realtors. So it's like focusing and hitting agents like crazy and letting them know you're an investor, I think is one of the best places to get a deal, um, even right now. All right, Tarl, I know you are against giving newbie advice, <laughs> but can we ask you for one, one nugget? What's escrow? That's the question. No, anyways. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm totally on board with that. Um, I think one of the, one of the, very first thing is what is your buy box? Like, what is a deal to you? And, and that doesn't mean like, what's a deal to me? My, what's a deal to Jimmy? What's a deal to Jesse? Like it's, we're all, we're all different buy boxes at the end of the day, even though like Jimmy and I were in the same market forever. Like it's the, it, but still he'll buy stuff that I won't buy and vice versa. Right. There was a period of time where, uh, I'd buy like, I bought a ton in Tacoma for years. Right. And, uh, and I'd get the deals from Jimmy that, cause he didn't want them then, but now he'll take them all, I guess. But, uh, the it's at the same time, though, it's like, what's your buy box. So like, if you're looking at a lot of deals and it's like, I don't, I don't see any good deals. And the, most of the time when I'm talking to somebody new, it's because that is saying there's no good deals. It's because they don't know what a good deal is to them yet. They haven't really refined that, uh, buy box for themselves. And then once you have that buy box, make sure it's realistic in whatever market you're in. Uh, and cause that's the other aspect, you can have a great buy box that any of us would love, but then it might not be something that exists in the market that you're at. Uh, and additionally, if you know, everybody's in this game different at different levels. So like some people are starting out with zero capital. Some people have a lot of capital, uh, at the end of the day, it's like, you really only need three things to, to do any deal and that's time, money, and expertise. 
Uh, and so which one do you have? Like, are you the person with all the time that has no expertise and no money? Well, then you got to go find people that have those things and add value or go figure out how to wholesale or something like that, which is a lot harder than it looks, by the way, the wholesale. Like it's looks like it's easy, but it's not. Uh, there's you have to know a lot about the business to do be very good at wholesaling. Um, but that said, like maybe you have a lot of money, but you don't have the time and you don't have the expertise. Cool. Maybe you shouldn't go flip a house. Maybe you should go lend that out to somebody or partner up in JV. So just know where you're at in that game uh, and know what a buy box is for you. And then then start looking for that stuff. That's great advice. Thank you. Hey, James, you got anything for us before we go? Yeah, I think uh, the, the best advice for, you know, if I was starting over again is everyone's taught to chase the deal. If you get the good deal, you'll make money. And flipping is a business and you got to build it backwards, right? You don't go over, you don't go start selling trinkets on Amazon and just going out and buying product without understanding the cost. Build your team then build your buy box because your buy your buy box is going to get built based on the resources and people you have around you. Go if you're new, go get your lender locked down. How much cash do you need to put in that deal? What's your cost going to be on that? Go work with contractors, find out what they're good at, and then based on your resources, build your buy box and go start buying. And so you know, everyone don't don't skip the line and go buy the deal. Go, go get prepared to buy the deal and buy the right one. And that will, you know, if you have the right people around you and you have the right systems around you, that's where you can flip in any market. And so focus on the people and the resources, not the deal right now. Once you have that, then go start buying. That's what I meant to say. All that. <laughs> I concur. We'll edit it. So it sounds like you've, you all just said that. All right. Well, thank you all so much. This has been a, a great conversation. We appreciate your your time and expertise here. Jesse, if people want to uh, follow you, learn more about you, where should they do that? Uh, on Instagram, at Jesse Rodriguez, J-E-S-S-I-E, for the spelling of Jesse, at Jesse Rodriguez. Nice. What about you, Tarl? At Tarl Yarber on Instagram. All right. And James, why don't you just tell us where we can find you? Yeah, best way is probably Instagram at jdaneflips or jamesdaynard.com. All right. Well, Jesse and Tarl, thanks again. Thanks, guys. It's fun. Dave, thanks so much. James, thank you. On the Market is created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Joel Esparza and Onyx Media. Research by Pooja Jindal. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. And a very special thanks to the entire Bigger Pockets team. The content on the show On the Market are opinions only. All listeners should independently verify data points, opinions, and investment strategies. Investing in small multifamily properties is probably the most popular niche in the entire Bigger Pockets community, and there's a good reason for that. You can put as little as 3.5% down and own up to four units. So just think about that for a second. You can house hack where you live in one of the units, but in addition to having a place to live, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month. You have four kitchens and bathrooms that you could add value to to build equity. You could also turn one or more of the properties into a short-term rental or a medium-term rental. And all of this, what I'm describing here, is just one transaction. 
But of course, the question is, where do you find one of these small multifamily properties that you can afford? Which markets and which deals are best for you? How about after you close? How do you manage it? Optimize it. Keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. These are all great questions. And luckily for you, they're going to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient, great strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. I'll see you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.